Are, are you saying that life doesn't stop just because you're running for mayor? It would be so nice if everybody that uh, knows and loves me would just uh, put themselves in a virtual freeze for the time of the campaign. Yes. Uh, uh, but no, this does not happen. <laughs> uh, in, in fact, I uh, still expected to pick groceries up and get cat food. And uh, yesterday, um, shoveled some mulch in the garden beds. Mm. And, uh, you know, and I mean, part of it is really like you want to keep in touch with your own self, too. And don't want to just think, well, like, I'm this automaton now. And I'm just, you know, robotically moving through the campaign. Right. You know, I'm pushing send on my campaign disclosure report. And, you know, I'm writing a check for ad space. You know, that doesn't feel good or real either. Hello and welcome to Peach Pod, a Georgia politics podcast. I am your host, Kyle Hayes. And on this week's show, you're mostly going to hear from Luke Boggs. Uh, We're excited to share with you today a conversation that Luke had with Kelly Gertz. Kelly Gertz is a candidate for the mayor of Athens in elections that are taking place on May 22nd. And Luke sat down with Kelly to talk about his campaign, his vision for Athens, and what he'd like to do if he was to become Athens' next mayor. Gertz is in competition with Harry Sims and Richie Knight in that May 22nd election for mayor of Athens. Um, So with that, I'm going to turn it over to Luke and his conversation with Kelly. So here they are. So I think where I would like to start with you specifically is like we're we are in a political moment where a lot of newcomers are getting involved mm-hmm. and you are one of the few candidates that I've seen that has actually been involved for quite some time and still has a lot of energy behind them, mm-hmm. you know, because you've been on the county commission for what, nine years? Twelfth year. Oh, yeah, man, I, I don't want to sell you short. Yeah, <laughs> I know you're, you're I know you're district nine. So that, that's probably why nine was in my head. Or is it ten? Uh, uh, nine. No, it's nine. OK, yes, yeah, I'm right. Nine. OK, She's good. One of the super commission half county seats before right. the general assembly and their uh, grace yes <laughs> uh, deconstructed it yes and so 12 years i mean that's a pretty long time and so it is uh, i think for most people who get into office they find that the first couple of years is this enormous flood of new information of learning of just figuring out what the job is everybody who runs for office comes in with you know, probably two or three or four or five priorities, things that they think are like, oh God, I can't wait to get to work on transportation management. I can't wait to get to work on bringing new jobs. And then you get in and you find out, geez, there, there are some details, some mundane and some significant that even if you're kind of an attentive citizen or an attentive candidate, you have not learned about, you know, on, on the local level, traffic management, um, how stoplights are programmed, what happens to the poopy flush down the toilet right. <laughs> and how to manage that long term, um, how local government is connected to state government and the tools that you can leverage there. There's just so much. So for me, those first couple of years, 07, 08, even into 09, I was really just learning. I mean, it's it's a lot like being a graduate student perpetually if you're an attentive person in government because you're always learning new stuff. And um, I think probably a strength of mine has been that I've always been open to learning new things. 
um, because I never think like, oh, I'm the, I'm the smartest guy in the room. You know, I'm the expert here. I mean, I, I know some stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've got some experience I bring to the table. You know, you, you, you don't run for office and you think you're a dumbass and you've got nothing to provide. Um, but, um, but I also realize, you know, there are things that other people have seen and had experience in that I've got to be attentive to. And, um, you know, the way I think that plays into kind of our current moment in even national politics is that people who are younger or bringing sort of newer energy see me as somebody who's kind of willing to accept that energy and, and grateful to accept that energy um, versus, you know, kids stay off my lawn. Right. I think I think that makes sense because, you know, from the, the circles that I, you know, the Athens for Everyone folks mm. and, you know, people around Tim Densing and a lot of people that, like, I've talked to on this show, um, there's a ton of energy there. I have seen you sort of in those same circles even during the earlier days of those organizations. And mm. so that, that does make sense. And one, one of the things that I was kind of curious about is um, one of the things I've heard Stacey Evans say a lot on the trail is that part of the reason that she's running from go- for governor is the, the frustration that she's filled as a state legislator mm-hmm. that she started to hit a blocking point where there are things that she thought should get done and wanted to get done and hadn't been able to. And that was because she held the title of legislator ra- rather than governor. And so um, is that sort of the same reason that you're wanting to run for mayor since you've been a county commissioner for quite some time? Are you starting to see where the roadblocks were and that's why you're running for mayor? And- it, it may not be an exact parallel, but, but I, I can see some similarity there. I mean, there's, a, there's a breadth of what you can do in the mayor's seat around uh, assigning topics to committee, around creating the agenda upon which the commission is going to vote. Um, you do the single most important thing that happens in local government every year. You build the budget. Right. You know, I mean, you, where you spend your money is where you set your priorities. And so if we're going to spend money on criminal justice reform or youth development or small business and entrepreneurship based economic development, that says a lot about a government. So I'm eager to be able to kind of have those tools at my disposal in the mayor's seat. Uh, I mean, certainly, you know, it's in a government that's structured the way it is, what a political science person would call a weak mayor system, um, the, the commission job does have significant overlap with the mayoral job, um, but the mayor is in some ways sort of the cat herder, <laughs> right. the, the, the person who kind of collects everybody's interests and tries to put them together in a, a bucket in a constructive way. And part of what I've done in my professional career, I mean, certainly in the classroom as a teacher and in other organizational capacities and, and, and now in my job working in public ed, um, supporting guidance counselors and school social workers and mentors in all the evening high school programs in the region, is brought people to the table and said, how can we come up with solutions together? And so being able to take that strategy into the mayor's office is really important to me. Um, everybody's got some wisdom to offer and I want to be able to have us mutually gain from each other's wisdom and uh, I've said a lot there are people with completely different backgrounds than me or even completely different political interests than me you know people in real estate people in commercial development from whom I've learned a ton and in the same way I've learned from 12 and 13 and 15 year olds in the classroom um, because you know they kind of come without a BS detector and right. give it to you straight and, and so I think as mayor, I'll be able to bring folks to the table for mutual benefit here in Athens. 
Yeah, I wanted to hit one thing you mentioned, which is that it's a weak mayor system. Mm-hmm. And I, I think a lot of people probably aren't familiar with that because most, most, I think most people, uh, you know, don't understand that our state legislators only meet for three months out of the year. Mm-hmm. And it's a very low-paying job, and you know, the mayor of Athens is not like the mayor of Atlanta in, any, you know, right. in a lot You're of ways. Hiring, and so, hiring department heads, right? Um, so working that kind of administrative end of it, you know, you collaborate with the county manager, you know, who does that day-to-day operational work, but. Athens mayor's primary role is kind of big picture guidance of, of the organization rather than kind of getting down into the weeds of um, you know which which house didn't have their recycling picked up on Tuesday morning um, now if you find out that consistently people aren't getting their recycling picked up on Tuesday morning okay well there's a theme there that you need to pursue um, but you know it's not the mayor of Athens job to call up the solid waste manager and uh, say hey you know somebody over there on uh, Westchester Drive didn't get the trash picked up. Right. And do you think that is a good thing for Athens that we have a weak mayor? Or do you think we would benefit from having a stronger stronger mayor? And the reason I ask that is, I mean, Athens, even in the time that I've been here, which is just since 2011, has mm-hmm. really grown significantly. Yeah. And it feels a lot of times, and this is a recurring thing in mm-hmm. these conversations and even conversations we've had, which is mm-hmm. just our tendency to do studies and studies and then do studies of studies and then have committees studying the studies and you know over and over again. And part, part of what I've been wondering is part of that due to the fact that the mayor doesn't have the same level of power as some of these bigger cities has, and it's sort of made it more difficult for there to be a unified vision of where the city needs to go since they aren't doing that day-to-day administration. You know, I don't find the charter-driven responsibilities of the mayor limiting. Um, I think individual mayors have taken their responsibility on in different ways, Um, certainly I'll take the responsibility of being mayor on in sort of a full bore way. And so because I'll be very engaged in drawing commission members together to set priorities, drawing community members together to set priorities and and, and things like that, I I think of my opportunities as mayor here as being vast, being enormous. And so I don't feel stymied by simply the way our charter is set up here. And in fact, you know, I, I enjoy that kind of big picture sweep and the notion that you can layer together multiple priorities in policy making and in budgeting, you know, you, you can think like, okay, how do we want more beautiful corridors that are going to attract businesses, and maybe even while beautifying those corridors, we can offer young people some jobs and skill building opportunity. I mean, those are the kind of things that for me are great fun to think about initiating here in town, and and all of those are things in the mayor's purview. Right, and. Uh... To go back to an earlier topic, I just thought of, so you, you've been in county commission for 12 years, so that, that means you ran 2006 originally? 06 was when I first ran, and um, that was back when elections, local elections, were in November. That was actually the first year there were nonpartisan elections, but still in November, which is my vast preference over May balloting, just given voter turnout. We could talk more about that if you'd like. Um, but, but certainly what it meant is I announced for that seat in January of 06 and worked nonstop from January through November. So Yeah, the, the reason I, I bring that up is I realize it's kind of a similar political moment. At least it feels like it to me, uh-huh. you know, kind of, you know, very far younger than I am now living through living through that moment. And then this moment as well, it's like it seems like those are both moments of pretty heavy 
democratic activism and yeah. real well, energy. Yeah, new energy in the room. I mean, right. you know, if you think on the national scene, 06, so, you know, I mean, you were in the, the latter days of the, the Bush two administration, and um, so, so Democrats had wind in their sails at that point that obviously continued to build into 08. And, uh, and that dynamic seems to be at play this year, too. You know, all these recent special elections right here in Athens and across the state, across the country, I think have benefited from that. Uh, you know, been reading about uh, um, Ted Cruz's opponent in Texas. And yes. you know, I'm mean, really interested in seeing, like, wow, there's, you know, what could be a legitimate statewide candidacy uh, in a state like Texas, where, where my mom and my brother live. Uh, and I think we're benefiting from that same energy right here in Athens. Right. And the reason I, I bring that up is because, um, at least in my mind, the amount of energy and excitement that we saw in 2006 didn't actually pay off. You know, it's sort of, mm. the, you know, we had 2006 was a great year. We elected a lot of good candidates. 2008, even better. We elected mm. Barack Obama and Athens. You know, I was before my time here, but from what people say, it was a pretty good progressive era, but then sort of didn't pay off. And so um, one of the other things I've been concerned about is how we have all this energy and we have all these mm -hmm. solid candidates that are running this year and how do we turn that campaigning and electoral energy into actual governing? Mm -hmm. And so what what do you think well, I guess that is two two questions. Mm -hmm. Like do you think that this time is different just in general with the level level of energy or the level of commitment? And then if it's not and if it's this very similar, how do we actually get some dividends from all this energy and activism that we're seeing now if we win. Uh, I, I think this is similar. I mean, in some ways, the energy now seems even more fervent than it did in 06 and 08. I mean, I think, think Barack Obama was kind of a unique political actor. Um, you know, certainly had great personal magnetism and I think was a pretty solid policymaker as well. You know, right now, obviously, there's pushback against the Trump administration and everything that has come with it. You, you know, I mean, I sit here, Lou, going to try and figure out who my least favorite cabinet member is. <laughs> Sometimes it's hard to figure out, like, how far we've gotten in our race to the bottom there. Um, what I'm really conscious of thinking about this energy and wanting to capitalize on it is how to make it a permanent capitalization. Right. And so just on the local level here in Athens, because that's what we can focus on or what I can focus on in my role as uh, hopefully soon to be mayor-elect, is thinking, okay, how can I have conversations both with continuing commissioners who've been on the board for a while and the wave of newly elected people who are going to be coming up uh, this year so that we look to the common ground that we share, which I think is is a big part of everybody's personal platform, and we build in a way that we're not going to see a pendulum swing back. You know, We build in a way... Um, that's sustainable, um, you know, that, that's fiscally appropriate, um, you know, that, that generates kind of broad support. I mean, you're never going to have unanimous support, obviously, for any action that you have. Um, but I think these next couple of years, you know, 2019, 2020, are going to be critical in laying the foundation. You know, if I think of what I don't want to have happen, it's the kind of parallel with the national scene where, you know, that there was this progressive swing and, and then obviously this dramatic and painful swing back right. that we're experiencing right now. Um, you know, obviously in the White House and in congressional 
action. And so back to kind of what I talked about earlier with bringing people to the table, I mean, I, I want to talk to everybody in this town about policy initiatives and, and Fortunately, what I'm hearing on the campaign trail, and as I sit down for coffee with folks day in, day out, is that there's lots of shared territory from people who are in the development community to people who are in nonprofit support to people who are seeking uh, low-income housing and um, better job options. So I, I, I see the time ahead as one of shared prosperity and uh, a shared prosperity that people won't want to move back from. Right. And... So looking looking forward to that, then let's let's assume the best case scenario and that you're elected mayor, and you know I, I assume you want to run again since you have two terms. So like, what what is the the Athens of eight years from now look like compared to um, what it is now, and what do you think you would bring uniquely to it as mayor? Mm-hmm. Uh, s- certainly, I, I want it to be a more integrated Athens. Uh, I mean, this town historically has always sort of been bifurcated. Mm-hmm. You know, we've had you know, this vast pot of wealth, you know, much of it university affiliated, but some of it, you know, from other uh, occupational sectors that's done really well and um, and would probably continue to do well just if there wasn't a government at all. Right. Um, but for me, if just part of the community is doing well, then I'd be failing at my job. I mean, it's got to be a community that fully does well. And so that other part of the community that has historically been underprivileged, largely the black community in Athens, that 100 years ago um, were, were families working in fields around here, and 75 years ago were working in textile mills, and today are asking you if you want fries and a shake with your meal, um, need to be kind of brought in to, to be full and engaged residents of Athens. And that's true in the occupational sphere, uh, it's true in housing. Uh, it's true in even management of our criminal justice system, which is probably one of those areas where we've got the greatest opportunity to both make quality of life gains as well as make some fiscal advances um, by working uh, smarter and not harder, um, focusing on reducing recidivism, um, building safer neighborhoods, whether you're in the $400,000 a year earning pot or the $20,000 a year pot. Um, and so I would want that Athens of eight years from now to be one where, you know, you could walk county line to county line and feel sort of a vibrance and a sense of satisfaction with living here um, and a safety. Yeah, and the inclusivism is something that I hear a lot. And one thing that, you know, I've noticed specifically is that when I moved to Athens, uh, you know, the Pier Street neighborhood was one that was mostly people that, were living in Athens, working in Athens, not people who mm-hmm. attended university. And yeah. now, even in my time, it is far more student housing. Yep. You know, a lot more students are out there. And really, what it is is that the the you know the two the story of two Athens, the poor community of Athens that's not associated with the university in any way, is getting pushed further and further out. And so, um, while I feel like everyone in Athens pretty much does a great job of speaking to that problem. I haven't heard many believable solutions to it yet. And so I, you know, I'd be very curious to hear mm-hmm. like what concrete things you want to do to combat that. Because I think as you were mentioning that, you know, some folks would do well if there's no government at all. And I think in a lot of ways, um, planning around those issues, that is kind of the status quo that there is no aggressive government action to mm-hmm. combat it. And so 
what what can the government do that you would think would work to in, you know, increase the inclusivism of Athens. Sure. Well, and before I get into that, I, mean, mm. I, I at least need to acknowledge that historically, you know, it was local government, uh, along with other actors, the federal government, the private sector, and others, who put us in the position where we did have a divided Athens. You know, we're sitting here having this conversation on College Avenue in Athens, and just a couple blocks from here in the 1960s, a um, couple hundred mostly black property owners were moved out of the city center to what was then the periphery of the community through the urban renewal program that, that was a uh, sort of 80 20 city federal split and so living in a town that has that history i feel compulsion to have to address that and to, in fact have to reverse it um, we benefit from some things here in Athens. I mean, one is that there's a lot of available, developable land close in. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, if we were a city that was much more dense and had that same kind of two Athens dynamic that you mentioned, it would be harder to do. But because there's vacant land on College Avenue, uh, vacant land on Cathwood, on Newton Bridge Road, um, on Barnett Shoals Road, you know, all close in, all accessible to grocery stores and schools and medical resources and public transportation. I think we're we're in a situation where we can make a difference. And so tangibly in terms of tools, I want to do a couple of things to reverse that outmigration of folks in need so that they continue to have access to resources. Um, one is that I've suggested that our next SPLOST, which the voters will be seeing in the fall of 2019, uh, that we commit $15 million over five years to uh, affordable housing measures, and that would include land acquisition, water and sewer hookups, um, buying down some of the general development costs that any new development has to encumber, things like sidewalks and street trees and stormwater management. Um, and I've also said that um, to address not only affordable housing, but also beautification and economic development, we should carve out some tax allocation districts like Atlanta has done around the Beltline and Atlantic Station and about half a dozen other places. And those could include areas like College Avenue from Doherty Street on down to the river or the Newton Bridge Road corridor from really back up to you know the railroad tracks over there by the Habitat for Humanity office all the way out to Cathwood, kind of around the back end of the country club where there are dozens of acres of available land um, for residential development and, and commercial development. Um, and so in doing so, we would really be doing several things woven together at once. Um, you know, not only would we be ensuring some uh, range of housing in town, you know, we'd also be rolling out the red carpet for new economic development, new job growth too. On the job growth question, I've heard a lot of different visions for like what Athens economically should look like. And mm -hmm. the two like big categories that I've seen are the folks that are talking about how Athens needs to be like a Silicon Valley of Georgia type uh, thing, <laughs> yeah. uh, which is you know interesting and, and we don't seem to have the infrastructure for that yet and there needs to be a lot of work done to do that before the sort of uh, job not only opportunities but actually enough wages like even in those sectors to get paid for that and then the other type is the more caterpillar centric mm -hmm. jobs and so I, I'd be very you know curious to know what you think 
Athens needs to which which direction it needs to go to? Does it need to be doing both? Like, is there some other as, you know aspect of uh, you know economic development that Athens should be looking at? Where where wh- what are the jobs of the Athens of tomorrow? You yeah, know, I, sort of the you know bigger question. Sure, I, I would take either of those things off the table. You know, whether you're talking about uh, tech sector oriented jobs or, or advanced manufacturing, I think both of those need to be part of our portfolio. I, mean, I just talked today with a developer who's you know looking at bringing a uh, company into town who would interact with some of the pharmaceutical companies that are already here to, to do some of the peripheral packaging work around there that mm-hmm. would bring several hundred jobs so i think manufacturing is going to continue to be part of it um, you know a good thing about some tech sector related jobs is that some of those are jobs that involve you know relatively brief training um, I mean, in much the same way that, you know, you can effectively learn to be a welder in six months or nine months, you know, you can be an entry-level coder, um, computer coder, in about the same amount of time. And so I think that's an area that we also need to be uh, looking at. I mean, we also need to think about entry points even earlier on. You know, some of the conversation has been about preparation of workforce. Obviously, I've been working with high school kids primarily the last 20 years here in town, including doing workforce development uh, activities like um, introducing kids into work-based learning programming and service learning programming where they're spending a semester doing something on the ground and getting class credit for it. Uh, So we need to be expanding that dramatically. I think local government can play an enormous role. You know, I mentioned earlier the prospect of just beautifying some of our corridors by teaching landscaping and horticulture skills to kids. You know, we as a government also do things like run community centers where you could have teenagers work with younger children. Um, we, we do relatively small-scale engineering work, like layout sidewalks. That's something a 17-year-old can learn to do. So, so we need to be thinking about that early entry point. Um, we also need to be thinking about that large cluster of people, probably a bunch of whom you know yourself, yeah. who uh, finished their four years here as an undergrad and think, damn, I would love to live in Athens. That is me. Uh, That's why I'm still here for law school. Right. So, yes. yeah. But what, where is the job? Right. Uh, and what's good is that we're at a point in time when the university seems really conscious of wanting to build the bridge of their intellectual property creation and laboratory-based work that can reach over to the private sector. Um, folks may have read in the last couple of months that just in the calendar year 2017, 52 products began production on the private sector side that were birthed at UGA on campus. And so my goal is to keep as many of those activities right here in Athens as possible using some of the tools I already talked about. Um, redevelopment of, of some places that have become sort of haggard and use of tax allocation districts. Um, and, and then, you know, I'll tell you something that, you know, f- for probably many people in economic development is tougher, but I want to at least begin to take a look at is how do we take the, the big chunk of our population who are kind of mid-career, folks in their 30s, 40s, 50s, who might have been uh, undereducated you know, decades ago, and, and how do we bring them more fully into the fold? Um, I wish I could say, Luke, I had great answers to that question. Right. I at least want the question out there. Yeah, and that's definitely something um, I think is under-talked about, because it's easy for me, and it'd be exciting for me, to spend a lot of our time talking about how 
could you make Athens a city where anyone who graduated from UGA and wanted to stay would have a job here? And I think a lot of times that's the easiest conversation to have, and it's a much harder conversation mm-hmm. of how you get the you know B minus Athens call, uh, high school student to yeah or have high a school good, dropout. Oh yeah, 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 exactly that too. I mean, Athens um, has seen its high school graduation rate move up from about fifty percent in two thousand five to about eighty percent today. So if you look at that period of people who should have been graduating high school in 2005, 2000, 1995, 1990, you know, that's a big chunk of our population walking around, you know, working these low-wage service positions today. We're not working at all. Right. And what, what can we do for them besides just, you know, re-education? Is there any other steps that we could take, you know, because the... It's often complained about how Athens Clark County can't raise its minimum wage unilaterally, as yeah, I believe there'd be a lot of support, probably even maybe with the current commission, but definitely mm-hmm. with the commission we're going to see in 2019. Mm-hmm. So, um, what you know steps can the city take to try to mitigate that problem? Well, at the very least, if you've got solid employers who have higher wage positions, you know you're going to have some sort of spillover, some halo effect from that. Um, you know, the other thing that begins to happen is that, you know, you, you drive up the sort of wage floor for larger employers, too, you know, as you attract new higher-end employers. Um, you know, I'm so glad that the university is here, but certainly the university, in common knowledge, you know, has a lot of uh, entry-level folks not making very much. And so, you know, if we can push that wage floor up with some competition in the market, I think that benefits us all. Um, you know, I, I don't have all the answers to that question because it's a tough question, and that's kind of why I wanted to bring it up. Right. Yeah. Uh, you can email me at <laughs> kelly.gertz at gmail.com with your answers, yes. my listeners of the podcast. Yes, yeah, definitely. Um, well, I will definitely follow that um, with keen interest thing. I guess um, another uh, area of development that I remember that we talked about before last mm-hmm. time we saw each other was the sort of like industrial sector of Athens mm-hmm. to, you know, near the Habitat offices that we're yep. talking about, and you're wanting to redevelop that. So I, I was really interested in that project and just wanted to see, you know, if you could go over that again and, you know, sure. see any new ideas that have come into that so since for, we last talked. So for talk. folks that are familiar with the geography of Athens, um, you really can move a mile and a half from the arch uh, that, that defines the gateway of the University of Georgia, um, just down the street from City Hall, and you find vast tracts, you know, 30-acre, 70-acre tracts that were built out in the 40s or 50s or 60s or 70s, some of which are still being utilized today and some of which are, you know, vacant or heavily underutilized. And part of what we need to do as a city that kind of had that stuff just outside the city center uh, developed in that period and then growing a little bit rough today is revitalize that um, and do it you know, using tax allocation district models, um, improving infrastructure, offering incentives to move jobs into those places, uh, making sure that our transportation network is solid, um, and that we take advantage of some of the little bright stars that are already going on. So if you think about that stretch of kind of Barber Street dovetailing into Newton Bridge, you know, we've got Creature Comforts, who's got an enormous expansion underway that's going to triple their production of their fine beverage over there. Um, we've got a large land planner that's moving uh, adjacent to there. Um, you, you've got Peter Dale, kind of noted Athens restaurateur, who's opening up a new place over there. 
uh, just another half mile out, you've got Kindercore Vinyl, one of the only places that you can get your vinyl record manufactured in the United States uh, that, that's opened up in about 10,000 square feet of operation. And so, you know, we, we sort of can use those almost as like dots, you know, connect the dot kind of drawing and, uh, and, and physically connect them so that you can get to those places from residential areas. Um, beautify the places so they're kind of more appealing to people um, and, and again offer some incentives so that you can buy down development costs. Right and is that something you think if we if we speak again in eight years that mm-hmm. would be mostly done uh, on its way or like where, where in the development uh, stage do you think, think that could get done? In, in various stages of completion right. um, I, I can think a lot of core about a lot of areas of this town you know just named that one I think about the stretch of Hawthorne Avenue between um, West Broad Street and Oglethorpe. Uh, I think about the stretch of Highway 78 between Gaines School Road and Whit Davis Road. I mean, all, all of these are areas um, th- th- that have uh, sort of ended up in the scratched and dent pile of sectors of our community um, that, that we now need to be refurbishing. And so I would see some of these on their way to completion. Uh, some of them in their initial stages, but more broadly, I would see that thematically that's something that people are working on. You know, part of what I hope to do in the next eight years is really set the stage for the 20 years that's going to follow. Um, you know, there's always talk in policy making about uh, you know setting uh, setting expectations low and then over delivering. Right. Uh, and I don't want to set expectations low, um, but I do want to just be very frank about saying you know we're we're not going to see. 180 degree revolution in eight years, but I think we can be well on the way to better components of this community that future mayors can then build upon and future commissioners can build upon. Yeah, because that's been my biggest frustration is with you know all the money that we spend on these plans and these surveys and these committees that we don't actually have a unified vision of like what Athens is going to be like in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, and that that's been just baffling to me why it seems so difficult for that to be done. Right. You know, and in aggregate, if you look at um, some of this work that's been done, some corridor-specific work, say, around Prince Avenue or Highway 78, um, and then maybe some even bigger picture things that have been done even more recently, like the Envision Athens plan, you, you collect those together and you could really get an idea of what things would look like in 20 years or 30 years or even on a shorter horizon. Um but part of what we need to do as an entity in communication terms is lay that out for the public and say, you know, here is a vision of Athens. You know, obviously some of this is nimble and subject to change, but at least let's begin the conversation somewhere. Right. And besides the inclusion issue, mm-hmm. at least through um, my, my biased eyes, uh, if you are successful in doing all these things, what I fear that you will create is a transportation issue like we have never seen because part of the reason that I desperately want to stay in Athens if I can is the fact that most of the places I would like to go are roughly 15 minutes away and uh, that is not true in Atlanta and even in the short time that I've been here traffic has gotten significantly worse and so what I would be very, very curious to hear is, um, first, what sort of just general transportation things do we mm-hmm. need to do? And then the uh, second part is, we have a multi-mogul center mm-hmm. in Athens. However, it's only one 
one mobile. mode. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, you walk there as well. Right, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So, like, walking or riding a bike or driving there is the second mode. But there's no yeah, it's, public... It's, it's the bus station. Right, it's the bus station. Yeah. So, like, um, is there any interesting all in, like, making it... A, more modes and if so yeah. what would they be and like what you know what kinds of things could we be doing or thinking mm-hmm. about because I know the uh, project that I imagine most Athenians would be familiar with is like the brain train which is like my pet project mm-hmm. which I would love to see happen they which is have a train between Athens and Atlanta exactly which would be amazing however uh, is there any discussion or any thought of going beyond buses and Athens at any point just primarily because like i said i mean athens does not seem like it's built for a significantly higher population than it has right now without it just being very very gridlocked sure so if if the population grows certainly our transportation network needs to be enhanced there's no doubt about that um you know i'll, I'll take even a step back and you know if you were looking at athens from the moon one of the things that you would notice is that there are about 50,000 people that come into Athens for work every day. Right. So part of what I'd like to do is over time capture more of those folks as local residents. So they're still going to be driving to work, but rather than driving 20 miles to work, they're driving two miles to work or five miles to work. And so we're not necessarily seeing a traffic increase. In, in some ways, you would see a reduction in the average number of miles that somebody would drive. Um, now, as the population increases, I mean, certainly we're going to see new bodies in town. And, you know, Athens has seen an enormous arc of growth over the last 50 years. Uh, 1960, there were 45,000 people that lived in the, the then combination of Athens and Clark County. And today we're almost at 130,000. So, so there has been a significant increase. Um, and we've got to be attentive to that. Um, and to your question about the multimodal center and other means of getting people around. Um, There's a rail line that runs behind the multimodal center. For years, the only function of that rail line was getting coal in from out of town to the UGA boilers um, that they used in their physical plant. Uh, And today that function doesn't even happen. What's happened uh, that's very interesting is that line that uh, at one point was owned by one of the rail conglomerates it is now owned by a private ownership group, and it runs from the Jackson County line all the way through Athens, through the eastern edge of the university, past the Botanical Gardens, um, south into Oconee County, and ultimately terminating uh, down in the city of Madison, almost on I-20. I'd love to see some use of that line, um, you know, not only for kind of moving some products in and out of town, but as a people mover. Um, that area that I just mentioned over off Barber Street and Newton Bridge Road that I think is ripe for redevelopment run is right along that rail line. You know, all, all those folks who are living out of town, if they could park on the county line and take the train into the center of town, whether they were coming from the north or, or the south, th- that'd be marvelous. I, and, and I'd love to see that happen. I've been in some conversations with the private group that's bought that line to talk about just what's possible. And so I think we do need to be thinking big picture like that. Um, I've traveled quite a bit in this country and traveled abroad some, and one of the things that's just fun and interesting about either being in segments of the Northeast here or certainly being in in Europe or the UK is you have a lot of people who don't live in the town where they work, but they also don't own a vehicle because they can jump on a train or a bus any time, night or day, and get 45 minutes up the road to, to do their work. Uh, I remember 
being on a bus in Bath, England once, and just struck up a conversation with a guy sitting across the aisle from me and asked if he lived in Bath. He said, no, I live up in Manchester, but I'm doing this video editing job here for a couple of months. And so I just jump on the bus with my newspaper and read it on the way and jump off and do my work and jump back on the bus in the afternoon. And so he, he was living his life happily for a couple months that way. And uh, I'd like us to begin thinking about that in this region too. Um, part of the work that I do in public ed is, is in the region. So I work not only in Athens with the evening high school program here through the Foothills Charter High School, but I also work in Barrow County and Walton County and Morgan County, and Jackson County and Madison, down in Baldwin County and Milledgeville. Um, and I think about all the people who are living in all of those communities who are coming into Athens every day and how great it would be if they didn't have to get themselves in their car in the morning to get up to Athens. So I'm interested in collaborating with our, our regional partners, um, both our neighboring governments as well as the, the state regional commission office to begin to bring some of this into fruition. Right, because we saw a lot of movement on the statewide level on a regional mm-hmm. uh, transit development right. for Atlanta, yeah. but unfortunately, as we're as sometimes, we're, yeah, we're just out we're just outside that range and uh, sort of on that same. You know, line of thought is that something that you wish Athens had been included in? Uh, you know, it's a little you know further out, but certainly given the nature of the Atlanta metro area, I mean, I understand why the 13 counties that are now part of that kind of regional planning body were included and why others were not. Right. Um, and, and so, I mean, I, I don't think that they should have made a different decision about that composition. Um, but in fact, I feel a lot of energy because of that. You know, I mean, certainly. You know, three quarters of the students who are at the university are really from Metro Atlanta, and if we can create a regular way for somebody to get home and see mom and dad on the weekend, or mom and dad to come visit their their uh, son or daughter uh, on the weekend, I think that would benefit everybody, um, and it would also benefit obviously those people who are living in Athens or living in Atlanta and working in, in the other place. Um, I'm constantly amazed at the number of people I meet here in Athens who are working at Georgia State in downtown Atlanta or working at the CDC or Blue Cross Blue Shield down in Atlanta. And so we need to be conscious of that already being a reality. Some people have said like, oh, you know, I worry about ushering that in as a norm. But the reality is it already is a norm for a lot of people. Right. And I think uh, as has been discussed 316 is not the safest route to into atlanta because i know i I did research a couple years back and it's like on average there's two wrecks a day on 316 Mm -hmm. and so it's just having alternatives would definitely uh, be nice because there's only been i think two times i've almost fallen asleep in my car and both of them were on 316 and it's part of just the stop and go nature Mm -hmm. of it and just how yeah and I've had a lot of conversations with our mutual friend, Representative Spencer Fry, about 316 as a limited access road. And then yes. also this kind of more forward-leaning question about um, rail access to Atlanta. And um, so, so I'm looking for headway there, too. Right. And obviously that's going to have to be headway that's made in a collaborative fashion because we're going to have to have some other local governments and regional actors buying in. Last big topic I wanted to hit was there's been a lot of conversation about criminal justice mm-hmm. reform in Athens. And so um, there's been a lot of discussion on the show and elsewhere about the difficulty we had in creating the Civil Rights Commission. Mm-hmm. And as mayor, what things 
would you want to do and also like what are the limitations of what you can do as mayor because you know we've seen mm-hmm. Clarkston that they've decriminalized marijuana as a step um, and other you know municipalities they've Savannah, taken Atlanta. significant steps on that issue but also just the you know issue with uh, bars racially discriminating and just you know there's a whole gamut of issues in Athens mm-hmm. and so I, I'm just kind of curious about like what you think you can do as mayor and which of those problems do you think you can see the most progress on? Sure. So the criminal justice system is just that. It's a system. Right. Uh, it, it's made up of lots of different pieces. Uh, you know, as, as mayor, you're not a czar of anything yes. <laughs> in Athens other than the 200 square feet of your office, maybe, and, and probably not really even that. Um, so I, I would anticipate kind of working collaboratively with the judiciary, um, prosecutors, the solicitor and the DA, public defenders, um, the police department who are under the umbrella of uh, kind of the mayor and the manager, uh, and others to ensure that we are creating kind of better systems. Uh, I was part of a criminal justice task force several years ago that among other things recommended that in terms of information exchange, we create a more centralized hub. And so we've done that now in terms of moving data around and moving information about people involved in the system around. But we haven't taken the same approach when it comes to actually sort of enmeshing our work practically, functionally, day in, day out into each other. Um, If you look at the general fund, so the sort of big pot of spending that the mayor uh, presents to the commission every year, better than half of it is comprised of the criminal justice system. So about $55 million goes into all those functions I mentioned a couple of minutes ago. And is that ratio like normal for cities? It's pretty typical yeah. for cities, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's it's just a big part of cities' activity. You know, our, I mean, one of our largest departments is the police department. There are over 300 people between sworn officers and staff people in the police department. And so just a lot of salaries and benefits. Right. Uh, but then also lots of equipment, um, many jail nights. Uh, give you a little example. So um, we're preparing the budget for the upcoming fiscal year, FY19, and one of the budgetary increases that we're going to have to absorb is an extra $300,000 for the fund at the jail that supports medical needs there because the medical provider has a stipulation in the contract with us that if the average daily jail population rises above 400 people, then there's a surcharge. And so that's a $300,000 surcharge for an additional 30 people in the jail. And so if we can think, all right, how do we manage people other than keeping them in jail in a way that keeps them involved in sort of productive activity that gets them back to work, um, that, that has them less likely to come into contact with other criminal actors, you know, not only are we improving lives, um, not only are we reducing recidivism, but we're saving ourselves a bunch of money at the same time. Similarly, uh, I'm very interested in working with the judges to work on bond and bail reform. Um, There's a lot of data from places as small as Pickens County, Georgia, and as large as Harris County, which is Houston, Texas, that indicate that if people don't have bail and bond, and thus they spend fewer nights in jail uh, of pretrial time, they're actually more likely to show up in court Mm -hmm. rather than less likely to show up in court. 
um, if you take sort of a case management approach and just you know, if you're arrested, Luke, and I call you once a week and then I call you every day the, the week ahead of your jail date or your court date, excuse me, um, you're more likely to show up than if I just lock you up and throw away the key for a while. Right. Um, uh, until your family is able to cobble together the money to get you out. And, and just to be clear, so like, uh, are, are you interested in just getting rid of bond and bail entirely? Because I know, I think New Jersey has done that and a couple a couple other places have done that. And You know, th- there, there are some strictures in state law that would keep us from getting rid of it entirely. And in fact, I think regardless of, of state code, there are probably some circumstances in which um, bond and bail are warranted, um, but I think there are vast quantities of circumstance in which it's not warranted at all. In fact, it's counterproductive. Right. So, I mean, all of those things are things that we can do that I think is going to make this a healthier community, and it's going to be a community in which we spend far less money on the criminal justice system and either can return that money to the taxpayer or do more productive things around economic development and youth development. Yeah, and this would not be Athens if we didn't round back around the, the marijuana decriminalization <laughs> question. So do you want me to address marijuana? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, why not? Sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm certainly happy to talk about it, and, and I do think that the approach that Atlanta and Savannah and Clarkson have taken is the appropriate one. Yeah. Um, you know, anybody you know, who's got 50 cents can get on eBay right now, and you can find Eric Schlosser's book, um, uh, Reefer Madness in which he looks at the underground economy uh, around the country, including the kind of marijuana trade, and realized that, you know, sort of marijuana was this, you know, very, marijuana laws were around this kind of very targeted effort to uh, manage the drug associated with jazz musicians and, and Mexican immigrants and others. So you can look at that historical sweep. And then you can even look at kind of in a more contemporary way, the experience of a state like Washington, where Governor Jay Inslee is right up front, and he says, you know, five years ago, I was very skeptical about marijuana law reform in my state and, and in fact, opposed it. But now the data has borne out that this has not been some great gateway drug. Um, but, but in fact, what we're doing, if we maintain our current mode, is just locking people up to their detriment and our community detriment. Yeah, and that's been my major concern. Probably one of the few people who's more interested in the community and budgetary problems with uh, marijuana criminalization rather than the uh, personal use. Um, yes, yes. yes. Uh, Kelly Gertz is not out there going, uh, uh, kids, start talking up now. Yes. Uh, that's uh, not, not, not the goal. Yeah, and uh, it's uh, to, me, to me, it's um, always been just amazing looking at the metrics of knowing how racially disparated it is and how racially targeted uh, either naturally or unnaturally it is and then uh just the the financial cost and you know the fact that it's not ideal that i think that you know 50 percent of your budget if you're mayor has to be criminal justice related mm-hmm. that does not seem ideal no. <laughs> yeah you know so it's just like i feel like anything you can do founding fathers anticipated that right and so it's just like anything you could do to start you know pushing the scales and uh, down on that area i think would be worth exploring I agree. um and so, uh, what we like to do uh, in this show is uh, to have the, you know you flip the table and you ask me a question. So, wh- what would you like me to answer? Well, well, Luke, I mean, you know, I mean, I'm sort of lucky to be talking to you. You've been here for several years, mm. so you're you're not new to Athens. You know, your eyes have been on the ground. You know, you've worked in the nonprofit sector, you've worked in state government, some. Um, you've lived elsewhere, so. 
you know, in, in your last, you've been here eight years? Since 2011, okay, so yeah. seven, eight. All right, so, so, so in your last eight years, just as you've you know, had the daily lived experience of being here, what have you seen that you just wish was different? Right. I'd say the the biggest thing is what I hit on earlier is that there is no like unified vision of what Athens of tomorrow is going to be. And I feel like that has a lot of problems because it it puts every single problem that Athens has in a region of like hopelessness of just like when I because I feel I feel like the the consequence of that like unified vision of Athens not existing is that if a business closes down downtown it's more likely to be a bar compared to like no matter what it was before it's more likely to be a bar than anything else and that if I'm seeing a new building get built downtown it's a luxury high-rise apartment rather than and you know, for more affordable housing or something that would be more interesting to me personally, sure. and so it's like on on that front, I feel like um, you know the the like wealthier element of Athens sort of has had free reign to do what they want, and that has uh, really hurt, I think, both um, the culture of Athens and the things that I really like about Athens. And has prevented a lot of these like systemic problems that, while I'm not personally affected by, I really care about from getting addressed. And I feel like the more exciting projects that we were talking about, like the transportation innovations or you know developing different parts of Athens in a really concentrated way, I haven't been able to see that happen. Mm-hmm. And so it makes me uh, very concerned about if, even though like right now Athens is a place that I really really like to stay it makes me worried that that might not be true eight years from now you know right. so that's 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 sort of my biggest concern well and, and hearing you talk about that I mean certainly reinforces in me that there's got to be an intentionality around getting things done right you know we, we, we can't just talk about what we would like to see we, we've got to put tools in place to make them happen um, you know whether that's around housing whether that's around transportation infrastructure infrastructure uh, and in the innovation or whether that's around economic development kind of things you know we, we can you know, stand on the street corner like a crazy person and yell about what we would like <laughs> right but, but, but until we're uh, really tangibly kind of putting some uh, some opportunities on the table we're just not going to see it and and of course the, the market responds in, in very temporary ways in very kind of short-sighted ways I and mean, the reason we've seen Lots of student housing downtown, uh, in addition to the fact that it's our highest density zoning district for residential use, is that, you know, after the downturn in 2009, 2010, you know, high-end student housing was one of those sectors of the market nationally that could get underwritten, um, could get financing when, you know, apartments for working people or family housing could not. Right. And so, you know, we've always got to be conscious, you know, what do we want our community to look like in total and what's not going to happen of its natural accord or what might just need a little bit of nudging or guidance by the government in order to come to pass fully born. Right. 
Because I, 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 you know, that that point of just like screaming on the street corner about what we want, I think that that's critical because sort of, you know, because I'm from Camden County, Georgia, so deep uh, south Georgia, yeah. you know, where basically everyone's like, things are the same as they were, you know, 20 years ago. Great. <laughs> like, we don't want anything to change. And, you know, people complain about the traffic and uh, the growth and, you know. That's, you know, when I came to Athens, there's the attitude of this is a progressive city. There's all these things that we want to see dying, and then there was no action on it. And so it just, I want to see Athens put its money where its mouth is. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm hoping that, you know, if you if you win, and I, you definitely have my support, I'm hoping that you can make that happen. And eight years from now, I can be less frustrated with my city. Well, I'll still be here and available to talk, so I hope we can do this again. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, thank you for being on, and uh you know, good luck in your race. Thanks, Luke. That's our show for the week. If you like what you heard, share the show with a friend and go over to iTunes and give us a rating or a review. It really helps other people find our show. We'll be back with another episode of Peach Pod next week. Until then, take care, y'all.